And Jesus was casting out a devil, and the same was dumb. And when he had been cast out, the dumb man spoke. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear faithful, this holy season of Lent is a time set aside especially for penance. It is in these weeks leading up to Easter that many of the faithful throughout the world will be making their Easter duty to fulfill the minimum requirement of Holy Church to confess their sins at least once a year. I would not recommend putting off confession and making it a strictly annual event, though. We, at least those of us with a normal psychology and constitution, bathe once a day. If we take care of our physical bodies, how much more should we take care of our immortal souls? For the righteous man falls seven times a day, as Scripture attests. The devil, though, who was hard at work in convincing us to consent to temptation, attempts to make us dumb as a possessed man liberated by our Lord in today's Gospel. St. Alphonsus writes, After we commit sin, he seeks to make us dumb, that through shame we may conceal our guilt in confession. St. Augustine tells us that to prevent sheep from seeking assistance by its cries, the wolf seizes her by the neck and thus more easily carries her away to devour. The devil acts in a similar manner with the sheep of the Good Shepherd. After having induced them to yield to sin, he seizes them by the throat, that they may not confess their guilt, and thus securely brings them down to hell. Penance is necessary for salvation. Unless ye shall do penance, ye shall all perish assures our Savior himself. The Roman Catechism teaches, Baptism is administered but once and cannot be repeated. Penance may be administered and becomes necessary so often as we have sinned after our baptism. Hence the Council of Trent declares, For those who fall into sin after baptism, the sacrament of penance is as necessary to salvation as baptism for those who have not already been baptized. The saying of St. Jerome that penance is a second plank is universally known and highly commended by all subsequent writers on sacred things. As he who suffers shipwreck has no hope of safety unless, perchance, he seizes on some plank from the wreck, so he that suffers the shipwreck of baptismal innocence, unless he cling to the saving plank of penance, has doubtless lost all hope for salvation. Thus, all of us, poor sinners, must confess all of our mortal sins in order to be saved. Christ, our Redeemer, instituted the sacrament of penance precisely for our redemption. Whose sins ye shall forgive, they are forgiven them, he said to his apostles and to their successors. One of his reasons certainly was to leave no room for doubt regarding the remission of our sins. Each one of us has good reason to distrust the accuracy of our own judgment, and hence we could not be very much in doubt 
regarding the truth of our internal feelings of contrition and repentance. It was to destroy this, our uneasiness, that our Lord instituted the sacrament of penance, by means of which we are assured that our sins are pardoned by hearing the words of absolution from the priest, and also to tranquilize our conscience by means of the trust that should rightly repose in the virtue and power of the sacraments. The words of the priests sacramentally and lawfully absolving us of our sins are to be accepted in the same sense as the words of our Savior himself when he said in the Gospels to the paralytic, Be of good heart, your sins are forgiven. Secondly, no one can obtain salvation but through Christ and the merits of his passion. Hence it was becoming that a sacrament should be instituted through the force and efficacy of which the blood of Christ flows into our souls, washing away all the sins committed after baptism, and thus leads us to recognize that it is to our Savior alone that we owe the blessing of reconciliation. But the devil who wills our destruction, who blinds us as to the severity, the gravity of our sin, so that we readily fall into it, does not stop just there. He attempts, and unfortunately is often successful, at convincing us not to go to confession, or perhaps to withhold this or that sin from our confessor. Dear friends, do not give in to this temptation. To be silent when we are impelled to utter words injurious to God or our neighbor would be an act of virtue. But to be silent in confessing our sins is the ruin of our souls. After we have offended God, the devil labors to keep the mouth closed to prevent us from confessing our guilt. The reasons we come up with for not confessing are numerous, but usually revolve around the feelings of shame. Shame over what we have done, shame that we must reveal it to the priest, shame about what he may think of us, shame that he might tell someone else what we have done. This shame, though, is good for us. By acting against the urge to cover our sinfulness, we conquer our pride and make a very great act of humility. The priest is a sinner like his penitents and can have compassion with them, for he himself is encompassed with infirmity. He can never, under any circumstance whatsoever, reveal what has been said in the confessional, nor even aboard the subject with the penitent himself except with his express permission. If perchance you have a great repugnance at the thought of confessing to this or that particular priest, then by all means go elsewhere to avail yourself of this great sacrament. We have so many fears about confessing our sins, yet think little of how horrible it will be on the Day of Judgment when all of the sins that we have not confessed will be revealed to each and every person who has ever lived on this earth and to all the angels and saints before we are cast into eternal hellfire. 
and this thought should spur us on to dramatic action. St. Ambrose tells us, The devil keeps an account of your sins to charge you with them at the tribunal of Jesus Christ. Do you wish, says the saint, to prevent this accusation? Anticipate your accuser, accuse yourself now to a confessor, and then no accuser shall appear against you on the day of judgment. He who is suffering with some ailment must, if he wishes to be cured, reveal his affliction to a physician, otherwise his illness will fester and bring on death. That which he ignores, the doctor cannot cure. If then our souls are ulcerated by sin, be not ashamed to confess it, otherwise you shall be lost. When we confess our sins, we should first make a good examination of conscience, something that becomes easier the more frequently we confess. Our confessions should be integral, that is to say, that they cover each and every mortal sin we can remember committing since our last confession. We must confess all of our sins in number and in kind, giving any details that may change the nature and gravity of the sin. For example, stealing a big pen is not the same as stealing a Lamborghini. Committing a sin against the Sixth Commandment is not the same when committed alone, with someone who is unmarried, with someone other than our own spouse, or with someone of the same sex. Our confessions should be plain, simple, and sincere, brief, modest, and to the point. So important is it that confession be entire, that if the penitent confesses only some of his sins and willfully neglects to accuse himself of others which should be confessed, he not only does not profit at all from this confession, but incurs a new sin, that of sacrilege. Such an enumeration of sins cannot be called a true confession. On the contrary, the penitent must repeat this confession, not omitting to accuse himself of having, under the semblance of confession, profaned the very sanctity of the sacrament. When the Holy Ghost moves us to repentance and we approach the confessional, may our tongues be loosed by Christ, the divine physician. May Mary Immaculate, the refuge of sinners, pray for us and obtain for us this grace. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.